Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with abominable forms of worship as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Everything that God hates, they've done unto their gods. For they have even burned their sons and daughters in fire unto their gods. Human sacrifice, infant sacrifice was very common. Burning their children in the fire, heating their little gods until they were glowing hot and then putting their children in the outstretched arms of the little iron idols and letting them just fry to death as as they worshiped their gods. God said, every abominable thing that I hate, they've done in the worship of their gods. You're not to do it. You're not even to be curious. Now, everything that I command you, observe it. Thou shalt not add to it or diminish from it. Now, over and over, God warns us about adding to or taking away from that which he has commanded. Now, in chapter 13, the warning against false prophets. If a man comes in, and does some kind of a sign or a wonder, and he's a dreamer of dreams or a prophet, and he gives you some kind of a sign and it comes to pass. But if that man would then lead you to worship other gods, you're to put him to death, even though he may have been able to work some miracle. Now, let me say that there is a strange fascination that we seem to have towards supernatural things. But this can be a dangerous fascination because someone is able to bring to pass some kind of a phenomena for which there is no scientific explanation does not necessarily follow that that phenomena comes from God. Satan is a deceiver, and he is able also to create all kinds of spectacular phenomena. Thus, we are not to be drawn to phenomena and use phenomena as a criteria for truth. The person who is seeking after miracles is on dangerous territory. For when the Antichrist comes, he is going to come with lying signs and miracles that he's able to work before the people. There is an unhealthy absorption in miracles in many people's lives. You need to become thoroughly absorbed in Jesus Christ. There you'll have no problem. You'll see the miracles The miracles that he'll work in your life, the miracles that he'll work through your life. But we should not really be putting a lot of emphasis and and attention and concern in the seeing of miracles, for Satan is able to use them as a tool to deceive. So here were prophets. They were able to give a sign or a wonder. It would come to pass, but then they would lead them to worship other gods. He said, put them to death. For your Lord God proves you to know whether or not you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and reverence him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave to him. Now, if one of your family 
a brother, a son, a daughter, even a wife, should seek to lead you to worship another god. God said you're to put them to death, and yours shall be the first hand against them. You're not to hide it or hide their sin, even though you love them. But God was anxious to develop a spiritual purity among these people, lest they become infected by the lascivious worship of the pagan gods that the people were worshiping and be corrupted and lose the rights and the place within the land. Thou shalt consent to their death. You're not to hearken to their cries. Neither shall your eye pity them. Neither shall you spare. Neither shall you conceal them. Now, if you hear of a city where the people in the city have decided to serve some other god, then you're to arm yourself and come against that city and utterly destroy the inhabitants of that city. That desire that God had of maintaining a spiritual purity. He said, you are the children of the Lord your God, chapter 14. Ye shall not cut yourselves, make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. You are a holy people. And God has chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. You're, you're just a, a people that are to be separate unto God, different from anybody else. Now he deals with their diets, which we have already gone through as we went through uh, the book of Leviticus, as we dealt with the animals that were clean and unclean, and he pretty much just repeats out of Leviticus the things that were given that were edible and inedible as far as the animals and the fish and the birds. You're not to eat anything that dies by itself. Now you can give it or sell it to a stranger. <laughs> but you're not to eat it yourself. But thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. Now, if it's too far for you to go to Jerusalem to carry it, then sell it and wrap the money in a bag. And when you get to Jerusalem, buy your meat, take it and sac offer it the sacrifice and whatever, and eat and have a great big feast before God. Don't have to lug your ox all the way from Dan down to Jerusalem. But go ahead and sell it. And then when you get to Jerusalem, buy, buy another one and and eat whatever you want, have a feast, and enjoy eating together and fellowshipping together with God. Chapter 15, at the end of every seven years, you're to make a release. All of the debts were to be forgiven in the seventh year. Now, you're not to demand it again. After the, after the seventh year, you're not to ask for it again, except for a foreigner or stranger. Then you can demand it from them. But of the children of Israel, it had to be totally forgiven. Now, also, if it were, say, the sixth year, the seventh year was coming up very soon, and some guy says, oh, I'd like to borrow some money, you shouldn't think in your mind, oh, this is the sixth year, I don't want to loan it to him because it'll be forgiven in eight months, you know. And he said, don't figure that way. If he's the poor, go ahead and give it to him. Now, God is very interested in, in the welfare of the poor and that we be interested in the welfare of the poor. And here God is, is protecting the poor. And if a poor man comes to you and he's wanting help, 
You're not to think, oh, this is close to the seventh year. I don't want to give it. That's wrong thinking, God says. Go ahead and loan it to him anyhow. And then forgive it. Now, in Proverbs we read, He who lendeth unto the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And I think that's a good thing to remember. Rather than exacting the debts from the poor, just say, well, I loaned it to the Lord and, and the Lord will repay. Now, I like loaning money to God. I think he pays fantastic interest. And he who lendeth unto the poor lendeth unto the Lord because God takes the cause of the poor. God takes up the cause of the poor every time. And God is very interested in the poor of the land because they're going to always be with us. In verse 11, the poor shall never cease out of the land. You're always going to have poor people. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. He was quoting here from Deuteronomy. They'll always be poor. And thus, we should always have a heart and a concern for the poor. Now, if you bought a slave who was a Hebrew, man or woman, then they were to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year you had to set them free. And you shall not send them out empty, but give them liberally from your flock and from your store, from your wine press. Because you're to remember that you were a slave once in Egypt. Now, if you have a slave and the seventh year came up and, and it's time for him to be set free and he comes to you and says, hey, I like it here. You're a good boss. I've got good security. And I just enjoy working for you and I don't want to be free. I want to remain your slave. Then you were to take him and you were to take an awl and you were to drive it through his ear and you were to pin his ear to the doorpost of your house. And that signified a bond slave by choice. They'd usually then put the gold ring in the ear so that the gold ring in the earlobe was a sign that a man was a slave by choice. He had made his own free choice to be a slave for life. And that was the, the sign of it, the golden ring in the ear, I am a slave by choice for life. Once you had made that decision, then you would never be set free. But you had that choice. You could make it if you loved your master, you wanted to serve him. You'd say, well, I don't want to leave. I love serving you, working for you. And, and so the little ritual of, of piercing your ear with the awl, pinning it to the post, and thus the slave for life. Now, this is the kind of bond slave that we have become of Jesus Christ. Paul a douloi, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But it's by choice. Lord, I love serving you. I want to serve you. I don't want to do anything but serve you. I want to serve you for life. A bond slave of Jesus Christ. What a neat thing it is to be a bond slave of the Lord. Servant for life by choice. He didn't force me. It was my choice. I chose to serve him for life. And so 
there's a beautiful parallel as you read it there from the 16th chapter, uh, 16th verse, 25th verse of the bond slave, servant by choice, servant for life, the perpetual servants. In chapter 16, we now deal with the various feasts that they were to observe when they came into the land. We have rehearsed these as we went through earlier in the book of Exodus and all. You're to keep the feast of the Passover in the first month, the month of April, and, and the no leavened bread and those things of the Passover. Then you may not keep the fast Passover in any of the cities of the land but the city that God appointed for his place of worship. In other words, they had to come to Jerusalem. They couldn't just keep it in, in any of the cities they wanted to. Then they were to keep the feast of Pentecost, the seven weeks after Passover, and then the next day, the 50th day, they were to keep the feast of Pentecost, the ingathering. And then the feast of tabernacles in the 10th month. And thou shalt rejoice in thy feast. Again, the commandment to rejoice. And in verse 15, the very end, therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. God doesn't want any long-faced, griping service. God wants you to serve him with a rejoicing. God wants you to give with a rejoicing. Paul said, God loves a hilarious giver. Now, that is why your giving should never be by pressure. It should never be by constraint. Your giving to God should always be a free will giving with a rejoicing heart. Whatever you give to God, of time, service, whatever, you should always give it with a rejoicing heart. If you can't give it with a rejoicing heart, then don't give it. It's better that you not give it all than to give and gripe about it. God can't stand griping. It really upsets him. And I can understand that. I've been around people who have offered things to me, and I thought they were genuinely offering to them to me, so when I took them, then I heard them griping. Oh man, I took it back just as quick as I could and said, hey, I don't need this. You keep it. I don't want anything given to me that people gripe about. We were back in Toledo, Ohio, my brother and I holding a meeting back there, and the pastor of the church had us over for dinner, and you know, he, I'm a milk drinker. I just Really, he loved to drink milk, and so he'd fill my glass and I'd drink it because <laughs> I enjoyed drinking milk. And after I had drunk the second glass, he said, looks like we're not going to have any milk for our baby. <laughs> oh, man, did I feel terrible. <laughs> I didn't want to take milk out of his baby's mouth. And I really felt bad that I had drunk the milk. And so I went out and bought a couple of half gallons of milk and took it over to his house. I said, here, give the milk to your baby. But I can't stand people griping over what they give. 
Now, if you don't want me to drink milk in your house, don't pour it in my glass, because you pour it in my glass, I'm going to drink it. And if you offer me another glass, I'm going to take it and drink it. So if you can't do it with a free liberal heart, then please don't do it. It curdles in my stomach when they start griping about my drinking it. But God is much the same way. He can't stand people griping over what they've given to him. That's why he constantly emphasized the free will, the free choice, as you've determined in your own heart, and give hilariously. God loves the hilarious, the cheerful giver. And that's the way God wants you to give to him. And so rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing in the sacrifices, in the worship, in the giving to God. He wants you to be a happy people, a rejoicing people. Let's not disappoint him. Now, three times a year, every male was to appear before the Lord in the place that God would appoint. So later on, when Jerusalem became the city that God appointed three times every year, every adult Jewish male was required to come to Jerusalem for these three feast days, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. They were required to be there in that assembly before God. And don't appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he has given thee. Now, when you get into the land, you're supposed to appoint judges in every city. And in the gates of the city was to be the place of judgment. And you were to bring your matters before the judges who sat in the gates of the city, and they would judge over uh, the land. And to those judges, he commanded that they were not to receive any bribes, for it can blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Now God, in the 16th chapter here, closed the exhortations declaring, Neither shalt thou set up any image which the Lord thy God hates. God hates images. Now, I don't think God has changed. If he hated images then, he no doubt hates images now. And God declared, you're not to set up any image which I hate. An image is always a sign of a deteriorating spiritual life. For the image is intended to be a reminder. Whenever you need a reminder, it indicates that you have lost something vital of that awareness and consciousness of God. Rather than having that awareness and consciousness as Paul, in him we live, we move, we have our being, and be aware of God's presence with me. I've lost that awareness, that consciousness, so what do I do? I start carving out an image so that every time I see the image, I'll be reminded of God. 
So the image always speaks of a degraded or deteriorated spiritual state. It testifies to my loss of the consciousness of the presence of God with me at all times in all places. God hates images. I think that it is tragic that in so many of the great churches and cathedrals they have images within them inasmuch as God hates them. And I'll leave you with that. Turn with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 12 through 16 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you. May he bring you into a fresh awareness of his presence. And may you experience a fresh work of God within your lives. That you might walk before him this week in the path of righteousness, pleasing unto him. May God help you in those areas of your life where you have experienced failures in your past. And may you experience God's power and God's strength helping you to overcome. That you will not be overcome with evil, but you will overcome evil with good through His Spirit working in you. And may you come into a deeper relationship of love love for God and love for each other. And especially, may God give you a heart of praise and rejoicing so that your life might be pleasing to Him as you rejoice in the Lord always. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As we look back over the roadmap of our lives, we often see the value of troubled times, personal trials, and even the experiences of pain or the death of a loved one. These are the building blocks that establish God's plan for us. It is with great honor that I'm pleased to introduce Pastor Chuck Smith's autobiography entitled A Memoir of Grace. 
you're invited to pull up a chair and listen as Pastor Chuck shares his personal story of how God's grace prepared him for life's purposes. Perhaps as you're reading this story, you'll be prompted to evaluate your own past, your present situation, and that which is yet to happen, and realize that it all plays a part in establishing God's plan for you. See God's grace at work in your own life when you order a personal copy of A Memoir of Grace by Pastor Chuck. God called me into the ministry and how God has just led us step by step. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll free at 1-800-272-WORD.